Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. If you have not been here for a few weeks, we are wrapping up a series today from the book of 1 John called Prove It. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been examining different claims made by Christianity and then asking for the evidence to prove whether or not those claims are true. For example, last week, Pastor Jason asked an important question of what is love? And we examined and explored together that through Christ's example, love is more than just words. That love is an action of sacrifice given to others. And today we're going to be looking at another question similar to that, but today we're going to be asking the question, what is true? But before we jump into that message today, I want to ask you first to join me in prayer. Because the truth is, is that unless God's Spirit shows up to speak to our hearts and minds through His Word, you're just going to sit there and listen to some guy ramble for 30 minutes. And I know you all got a lot better things to do with your Sunday afternoon than to do that. So we want to ask Jesus to come and be here and lead our hearts this morning as we explore His Word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your Word today. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to see your Word with fresh eyes, to hear it with fresh ears, but most importantly, Lord, we ask that we would be transformed more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus, through your word. Father, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' powerful and mighty name. Amen. P.T. Barnum once famously said that a sucker is born every minute. And that was a hundred years ago. I think had P.T. been alive during the advent of the internet, he might have said rightfully that there's a sucker born every second. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not hating on the internet. I love the internet. The internet is a very powerful tool that we have used that is able to put the information at our fingertips at an instant moment. We have more access to information as a society than at other, any other point in human history. The internet is able to make the world a smaller place, isn't it? As we're able to connect with people from all across the globe. I marvel each Monday morning as I walk into our home office and my wife is diligently working and talking with somebody who is in India doing business over there. And of course, aside from the information and making the world smaller, the internet has given us incredible things like memes and awesome cat videos, which are awesome. However, as great as the internet is, I think all of us would recognize that with the internet comes the idea that it's hard at times to discern what is true and what is fake. What is real and what is false. Hoaxes, fake news, and misinformation abound in the digital age. And for every person that is looking to misguide the masses, there seems to be ten suckers who are willing to follow after them. I hate to tell you this, but you happen to be looking at one of those suckers. Yes, oh yes. Who's heard of the term catfishing? 
Okay, for those who may not be aware, or if you're watching on Facebook Live and don't know what that is, catfishing is a term in the digital age where somebody uses information or an image, generally of another person, to try and create a false persona, and when it comes to dating, attract somebody to that false persona. Now, before I met my lovely wife, I got catfished, and I got catfished hard. And it all started with an email from an attractive woman who claimed to be a doctor, a millionaire, (laughs) and also that she had secretly been watching me from a distance online and only now had worked up the courage to finally email me. Seems legit, right? But I was immediately caught up in this person's email. And so we started emailing back and forth to one another. And those turned into phone calls. And eventually, I kind of started falling for this girl. And every time I wanted to see her, things got really weird. Because there would always be some really obnoxious or crazy excuse for as to why she could not come see me. If I remember correctly, there was one time she said, my apartment is on fire. Another time, she said, because she's a doctor, right, she had to go in and perform a life-saving surgery on some poor child. All of this was going on, and as I recount the details of this story, I'm amazed at how ridiculous it was and how gullible I was to get caught up in this catfishing scheme. And yet, I took the bait, hook, line, and sinker, as it were, And I couldn't discern what was true and what was false. And perhaps even more widespread in our digital age than catfishing or dating scams are spiritual scams. Cults and false religions across the internet lure millions of people with promises of fulfillment of a better life and of having everything that you could have ever dreamed of through spiritualism. Unless you think that Christianity is separated from these scams, evangelicals, people who profess to have a belief in Christ, are also preaching false doctrine. In fact, Christianity Today recently shared an article about a theologian at a prominent Christian college who suggested that the Holy Spirit was at work in other world's religions. He said that Christians should be open to learning from and being rich by the Spirit's work in other world religions. And with respect to those religions, he said that if someone has something to say about God, don't we or shouldn't we at least be both sympathetic and critical to what they have to say? So in addition to errors like these that were printed in Christianity Today, We also see movements within the church, don't we, that pervert and change the gospel. We see the seeker movement that that sought to bring people in to be part of a community. We see the prosperity movement. And all of this moves people away from the gospel, which says that we are sinners in desperate need of being reconciled to God and moves us to a place where we become consumers with needs and that God is just willing and able to meet those needs. We just need to give Him a try. It's deceptive. And in fact, I was listening to, um, I came across an article this week um, from a church, which I will not name, 
But it read this, and just see how this sounds, if this sounds like the gospel to you. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life? We can help. Discover powerful and easy secrets that have been proven and guaranteed to give you the results you want. Whether you desire love, health, or simply fulfillment and satisfaction in life, now is the time to take advantage of this new and exclusive series being introduced for the first time in the Flagstaff area, absolutely free. This ad went on to invite people who were interested in attending this to come to the first series, which was entitled, How to Find That Something More. As I read that, I just, I had to wonder to myself, at what point, when they actually get people in the door, are they going to tell them that they need to repent of their sins and deny themselves to follow after Jesus? Because if they're not saying that, what form of Christianity are they actually offering? Because, church, I have never read, and I've read the Bible a lot in my 20-plus years of following Christ, I've never come across a verse in the Bible that promises us as sinners that God's greatest desire is to give us love, health, wellness, and fulfillment. And if you come across a church that is preaching that, look out. And so my question this morning is this. With so many different podcasts right at my fingertips, with so many different sound bites of pastors proclaiming truth as I scroll through my social media feed, how do I know what is gospel truth? Sometimes it's easy to discern, right? We see an ad like the one we saw in, that I just read earlier. It's easy to know that's garbage. That's not true. But other times, other times it's harder to discern what is true. What is the gospel truth? Because it's more nefarious and harder to see. And so I asked this morning, what is truth? How do we discern if someone is speaking from God or if they're certainly just giving us a catfishing spiritual truth? I have to imagine that I'm not alone in this question, that there have been people here this morning who have wondered that same thing with the proliferation of Christian information and teaching that is thrown at us through the internet. You've probably thought that at one time or another about Jason and I, right? How do I know that these knuckleheads up on stage are actually speaking truth? If you haven't thought that, if you haven't thought that, you should. And not just about Jason and I. You should think that about every preacher, every pastor, every spiritual leader who proclaims to speak truth on behalf of God. 1 Timothy 1.4, the Apostle Paul says this, that we are warned of the dangers of false teachers. He wrote, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful doctrines and demons. Clearly, Paul is warning believers to be on guard against being deceived by false doctrines and teachers. Church, hear me this morning. The danger is real. And as believers, we have to be discerning in spiritual matters. So how do we discern what pastor or teacher is from God? Thankfully, God must have known that this would have been a question, something that we would wrestle with as fallen humanity. Because in 1 John chapter 4, he gives us the specific instructions as how to discern what is spiritually true and what is spiritually false. 
So if you have your Bibles with you, either presently or on your phone, I invite you to turn there with me to 1 John chapter 4, and let's explore together what God has to say about this important issue of our faith. While you're turning there, let me give you some background quickly on what's happening in the book of 1 John. Tradition holds that John was written to a group of churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. And it seems that there was big trouble in Turkey, that there were false teachers who were teaching a truth about Jesus that was contrary to what John and the other apostles were teaching about him. And while there's some debate about the specifics of what this heresy was, as we examine the entirety of 1 John, we can begin to see specifically some of the tenets of this heresy. For example, these heretics denied the core Christian tenet that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. They denied that salvation alone came through Christ. And they emphasized the idea of a secret spiritual knowledge that existed outside of the bounds of Scripture. And so while we're not sure exactly what this heresy was, we know that theologians and scholars believe that this was the forerunner to Gnosticism that would show up in the church several hundred years later. Whatever it was, the truth is, is that this heresy was spreading throughout the church as a means to make more palatable and plausible the seeming narrowness of Christianity to both its Roman and Greco audience. Seeming to make Christianity more palatable and plausible to an audience. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That we've heard that going on in our society today. How can we make Christ more palatable and plausible to the audience? And here's the thing. It was working. In 1 John 2.19, it indicates that there were believers in the faith who had walked away from the church because of these false teachers. Now, hear me this morning. I want you for just a moment to put yourselves in the shoes of some of these first century Christians. Imagine for a moment, as you kind of scan around the room, life, doing life and church with people, and seeing some of those people who you've worshipped with, who you've served alongside, who you've cried with, who you've prayed with, who you've laughed with, turning away from their faith to follow a different religion, a false gospel. Imagine just for a moment some of the emotion that that might elicit in your heart and in your mind. And so as we step into the shoes of these first century believers, it's easy to start to understand that they had begun to ask the question, John, how do we know if a teacher or a teaching is from God? And so in 1 John chapter 4, John sets out to not only calm the anxious minds of these believers, but to assure them that they were following the true gospel. And so let's begin with what he says in 1 John 4, 1 through um, verse 1. He says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, how many of you in here have ever heard the saying, it doesn't matter what you believe, just believe in something? Has anybody ever heard that? Yeah. I mean, it sounds nice, right? It sounds nice. It's fluffy. But the truth is, like, when we put that to actual test, when we actually literally try to live that out, it's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? 
Because the truth is, is that I can believe all I want that I'm a Jedi. I can put on a Jedi robe. I can go to Disney World and actually make a custom lightsaber that I can wear on my belt. But I'm going to be in big trouble if I step out into oncoming traffic and try to stop a car with the power of the force. It doesn't work that way. We see that that statement is ridiculous, but those who position this statement as truth would say that there is a difference between science and religion. They would say that science is objectively true, while religion is subjectively true. And when it comes to religious belief, whatever works for you is true. Whatever works for you is true. But such a belief, that system, assumes that the idea of God, God himself, is nothing more than a cultural construct. That he's nothing more than the imagination of human beings built out over time. But we see in Scripture the truth, don't we? We see in Genesis 1.1 that God existed, and not only did God exist, but that God spoke the uh, universe and indeed entire existence of the planets, of the birds, of the airs, the universe into existence by his word. Furthermore, we see in the truth in the Bible that not only did God speak our physical existence into creation, but there's also the existence of a spiritual world that is much more real than the one we live in today. And in that spiritual world, we learn that there is Satan, that there is his demons, his fallen angels. And so when John talks about this, he says this to say that um, about truth, when he's talking about truth, he's assuming that behind all spiritual truth is the spirit of truth. And that behind all false or um, heresy is the spirit of error. And so whether they believe it or not, whether they know it or not, in that moment, any false teacher who is promoting a gospel that is contrary to what we see in Scripture is being led and being promoted by evil spirits or demonic spirits. And that's why John in this verse says, what? Test the spirits, not necessarily test the preacher. Because there's something going on behind the scenes. There's something happening behind that preacher who's preaching a false doctrine. And we see this pattern of deception going on over and over again throughout the entirety of Scripture. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when Satan deceives Eve to take a bite of that fruit. All the way through to the conclusion of humanity when Revelation talks about an Antichrist who will show up on the scene to deceive the entire world. Evil spirits have always, are always, and will always seek to promote truth that directs people away from the true and living God. And when John says that these false prophets have gone out into the world, it's important to understand that when he says this, he's not talking about people that are showing up dressed as sinister and all in black. They don't necessarily show up with a pentagram painted on their, chase, on their chest. A false prophet won't necessarily approach a stage wringing his fingers with a maniacal laugh. (laughs) He won't also blatantly call us to Satan worship or to child sacrifice. We need to recognize that false prophets will oftentimes speak our language. That false prophets will oftentimes profess to have a belief in Christ. If these false prophets in John's day were alive today, they might post a Bible verse or hashtag blessed on their social media posts. 
It's why Jesus said, church, that these people are wolves in sheep's clothing. It's why the Apostle Paul again warned that these men and women disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 13-14, it says that Satan himself even deceives himself as what? A spirit of light, not darkness. And so hence, John is telling his readers, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. Church, hear me this morning. Hear me this morning. True faith in Christ is not a blind leap. True faith in Christ is not a blind leap. When we hear truth, when we receive truth as Christ followers, we carefully examine it as to whether or not we should apply it to our lives. We need spiritual discernment today as much as the first century church needed it because there is an enemy who is seeking to pervert the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. And so we see in this first passage that God has given us the ability not only to discern, but to overcome false spiritual truth. And so John lays down the first test of how do we actually test the spirits? How do we know whether or not somebody is from God or speaking the truth of God? And he lays down this first test in verse 2 and 3. He says this, This is how you know that you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge him is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you have ever heard of the Instagram account Preachers and Sneakers? Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, a few. Preachers and Sneakers is a social media account on Instagram that oftentimes posts pictures of prominent pastors alongside the price tag or street value of the clothes that they wear. For example, it recently posted or showcased a Seattle pastor by the name of Judah Smith and his $3,600 Gucci jacket. It showed uh, Dallas pastor T.D. Jakes and his $1,200 fanny pack. Now, Anybody who spends $1,200 on a fanny pack, you got to know there's something wrong with them. But no, I, I digress. It also showed a pastor from Miami and his $2,500 crocodile belt. As an aside, church, if I ever show up on this church, and I mean ever on this pulpit with $800 shoes, you have my express permission to come up and slap me in the middle of my sermon if my wife doesn't beat it to me first. But Preachers and Sneakers highlights a sad reality about the church today, especially here in America. And the sad reality is that oftentimes as Americans, we put a lot of stock in the outward appearance of the men and women that we turn to for our spiritual truth. But it's just not the outward fashion sense of a pastor that we look for. When it comes to our consumption of spiritual truth, Oftentimes, we will also look at the outward persona or charisma that a pastor has on stage. In other words, when I go to church, is a pastor able to entertain me? Is he able to make me laugh? Is he able to tell a compelling story? And while these qualifications, church, are not necessarily evil, trust me, I've sat under some pastors that are rough to sit under. But when we use these qualifications as the primary method to discern whether or not somebody is speaking on behalf of God, 
we run into danger. Our souls, on the health and well-being of our souls, is in eternal danger. And so that is exactly what John is pointing to in this scripture. He's saying, church, when you submit yourself to the teaching of a pastor, when you submit yourself to the leading of a spiritual leader, the first thing that you should ask is, what does that person say or believe about Jesus? Not what kind of shoes they wear, not do they make you laugh in church, not do they entertain you, but what do they say about the person and the nature of who Jesus Christ is? And so, church, every, um, when John says that every spirit acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God, he is saying that the belief in the incarnation of Christ is a necessary prerequisite to speaking on his behalf. Consequently, he says this, that anyone who denies any facet of the incarnation of Christ is not only not of God, but he says that he has the spirit of the Antichrist in him. Yikes. Are you starting to get a sense of how important this test is? Are you starting to understand how we must be discerning of what spiritual truth we listen to? And so what is the incarnation? The incarnation is a term we don't use often in church, but it means that it's the doctrine that expresses that God assumed human nature and became man in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. It's a core tenet of our Christian faith. It most importantly says that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And while John doesn't get into the nuances of the specifics of the incarnation in this verse, as we go through the entirety of 1 John, we see that he spells out exactly what that means. And this is why it's important, church, that we don't ever just take one verse and use that as spiritual truth because we can get out of alignment. We can take things out of context. That's why we take the whole context, the whole authority of Scripture when we're discerning what God says. And so in 1 John, we see that John describes this incarnation of Jesus. In 1 John 1.1, he proclaims that he has seen Jesus with his own eyes, that he has touched Jesus with his own hands, and he calls him the living Word of God. And John purposely chooses this idea, this language, the living Word of God, to express the deity of Christ. Because Jesus emanates from God as his living, breathing word. He goes on then in 1 John 2.1 to say that Jesus was sinless. That Jesus was our sinless advocate. That he acts as our sinless high priest. And in 1 John 2.2, we see that Jesus is the propitiation, which is a fancy word meaning that he is the satisfactory sacrifice for the righteous judgment of God. Jesus had to become flesh in order that he could be a man and die for mankind. And in 1 John 2.22, it emphasizes the deity of Christ when it says that Jesus had the very nature of God. And in 1 John 5.20, it says that he, being Jesus, is the only true God. He is the eternal life. And church, all of this is bound up in the doctrine of, in, of incarnation. We could spend weeks and months and years talking about that, but all of those ideas are bound up in the idea of incarnation. All of that is bound up when John says that Jesus has come in the flesh and that anyone who acknowledges that, acknowledges is from God. 
And implicit in John's statement when he says that anyone who believes this is that a Christian or a pastor or a spiritual leader's theology, or more importantly, their Christology, what they believe about the person and the nature of Jesus is most important. Because church is the truth. The difference between someone leading a group of people on a pathway to hell and the difference between a person leading someone towards the living God hinges on what they say and profess about Jesus. And so John is giving us a test here. He says the first test that you are to ask is what does a preacher or a spiritual teacher believe or profess to be Jesus? What do they believe about Jesus? And so with this first test, we can see again that God has given us the discernment as Christ followers to not only discern and overcome false spiritual truth. So the first test is Christology. The second test is this. He continues in verse 4 and 5. He says this, You, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them, being Satan and teacher, the false teachers, because of the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, I think John rightly recognized that while profession of faith is essential as a test, it's also very limited in terms of its scope. Why? Because ultimately, anybody can say anything that they want, right? And not necessarily believe it. I bet that if I were to take out a $100 bill right now and say, I will give $100 to the first Packer fan who will confess that the Bears are the greatest football team in NFL history... There may be a few loyal Packer fans in this room who are willing to make a quick buck by confessing something with their mouth that they don't necessarily believe in their green and yellow hearts, right? And the same is true of a confession or profession of faith in Christ. A profession of faith in Christ is essential, but ultimately words are hollow unless that confession leads to a transformation of life. And so John is making that point here when he says that um, we can test or discern um, whether a teacher or teaching is from God. When John says that you are from God, he's pointing to a new birth, a new life that comes through transformation in Christ. Christianity is not just a matter of believing certain doctrines or creeds, though those creeds are essential. Christianity is about being born of God so that we receive new life in Him and are transformed by Him to become His child. Our second test that John is pointing out is to carefully examine a preacher or a teacher's life to see if what they confess with their mouth has transformed the way in which they live. Do they say not only that Jesus is Lord, but do they live Jesus is Lord? And John teaches that one of the primary evidences of this transformation is a consistent pattern of overcoming false teaching of Satan in the world. And it's important, church, this morning to understand why we are more than overcomers, specifically in relation to overcoming false doctrine and false teachers. Let me give you a hint. It has nothing to do with you. If I was able to resolutely stand in my faith because of my own volition, because of my own intelligence, it would not be proof of the Spirit of God working inside me, would it? It would just be proof, as my grandma used to say, that I'm a very stubborn and dogmatic person. But what John is saying here, as my wife laughs at that, 
But what John is saying here is that when we hold fast to the truth of Christ, it's because that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The reason why true Christians are able to stand in the true faith is because the power of the Holy Spirit indwells them and compels them to hold on to that. And that's what 1 John chapter 3, um, 24 says, that anyone who confesses or calls on the name of Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to indwell within them. The Holy Spirit alone is greater than he who is in the world. He's greater than Satan. He's greater than his demons. Greater than every false teaching that arises against the name of Christ. And it is because we have that power living in us that we are able to overcome the false teaching of this world. And so consequently, John says this about false teachers. He says, those who lack the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are from the world. And they speak from the viewpoint of the world. And that the world listens to them. What is the world? The world is that evil system under Satan's domain that is opposed to God and his kingdom. They're like oil and vinegar, diametrically opposed The world system is built on the principle of taking glory from God and distributing it to humanity. And so any teaching then that detracts from God's glory, from God's sovereignty, and places it squarely on the shoulders of humanity is satanic at its core. Let me say that again. Any teaching church that detracts from the glory and sovereignty of God and takes that and places it on the shoulders of humanity, is satanic to its core. And we hear that today all over the place. Everywhere you go, you hear people saying, your feelings are what matters. Your happiness is what's truth. What you want to do in life is what's best for you. You, 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 over and over again, placing man above God. It's satanic to its core. And verse 5 seems to imply that these false teachers in John's day were drawing a big audience. They were drawing a large crowd. They were speaking the world's language and the world was listening to them. And the same is true for us today that when we tickle the ears of uh, people and tell them what they want to hear, it's easy for any teacher to amass a large audience or social media following on the internet. When we forsake the truth, when we dismiss the truth that we were all sinners, all fall short of the glory of God and that we are in desperate need of a Savior to reconcile us to God and instead promote a message, you're okay, you're all right, God loves you, and what's more, God wants to give you everything that you want. Don't be surprised when you have a lot of people following after you. And so the application for us today is this. When it comes to spiritual truth, church, do not discern whether or not a pastor is speaking truth based on how large his church is or based on how many followers he has on social media. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're false, but if there's a lot of people following, you have to wonder what truth are they proclaiming. And John is saying that we should carefully examine not the size of the church, not the numbers of followers on social media, but to examine their life. Examine their life to see if they remain true to their original profession of Christ? Does their life represent a transformation of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? So the first test is, what do they believe about Christ or Christology? The second test is, do they model or manifest a transformed life? 
And in this, we see that God has equipped every believer to discern and overcome false teaching in our age. We don't have to be victims. And John concludes with his third and final test in verse 6. He says this, We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not of God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. It's tempting as modern-day believers, when we hear John say, those who are in the truth listen to me, to think that that's a little bit of an arrogant statement. (laughs) That if this dude believes that he's the end-all, be-all for truth, it's a little bit of, it sounds arrogant, it can rub us wrong as Americans. But here's the thing. John and the other apostles were sacredly entrusted with laying the foundation of truth regarding the teaching of Jesus. And this truth that John is referring to when he says they listen, those who are from God listen to us, he's talking about the Word of God. He's talking about those who submit to the Word and the teaching that we find about Jesus in the Bible. And so then, thus John is saying that the final test for a teacher or teaching as to whether or not it is from God, is to examine whether or not that teacher submits to the whole counsel and authority of God's Word. Do they listen to everything that God says, or do they take just bits and pieces? Do they apply certain things but not others? And this is why John says that without this standard, every person becomes a measure of their own truth, that they're filled with pride and not in submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. In other words, believers are to tether themselves to God's Word. And as a result of abiding in God's Word, we receive the promise of eternal life that is beautifully described in 1 John 2.25, which says, those who abide in God, abide in the Son, abide in the Father. So the third test is, do we, does a preacher or does a teacher submit themselves to the truth of God's Word? And so we see this morning, church, that yes, as Tom was saying, and rightfully so this morning, that there are a lot of different people out there vying and speaking supposed spiritual truths. We don't have to walk in fear of those. God has given us a spirit to be able to discern and overcome false teaching in this world. And so we can do that by asking, what is a person's Christology? What do they say about the person and nature of Jesus? Do they live a life that backs up what their confession in Christ says? And then do they submit their lives fully to the whole counsel and authority of God's word? And it's by this that we can discern and overcome every false teaching. It's by this that we can prove whether or not someone is from God. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.